I'm very honoured to be here today speaking on Father's Day. Um, I, I hope you think I have the credentials. I had to think of what my credentials are on Father's Day. I'm the father of four adult children. I have ten grandchildren. I have My lovely wife has two grandchildren. That makes twelve. I'm up to a dozen. So that's pretty good. And uh, I've been a... I have my... My kids' partners make me a father-in-law, and I've been a foster father as well, with long-term and short-term foster kids. So I've done a bit of fathering in my day. So hopefully those credentials are sufficient for us today. But, but I come here not because of my fatherhood, but because of the fatherhood of God. That is my ultimate authority that I stand on. So today I want to talk about having the Father's heart... There's something very special about the Father's heart. We have, at the moment, a generation that have been raised without, a lot of children been raised without fathers. And maybe that's what you've experienced. I lost my father when I was 31. It was a great surprise to me. I didn't expect that my father was going to, to die at that age. He was 64, and just this last week I turned 65. So, you know, I'm not held back. I'm not held back because of my lineage from my father. I'm actually now planted into the family of God as a son of God. And I actually now have the nature of God within me. When we become Christians, we no longer have to claim the, the, the heritage of our parents, which can be great and wonderful. But some of us, they, we, cannot, we may think that's not that way. But we actually have a heavenly father that has actually implanted within us his very, his spirit, the Holy Spirit was, is within us, to actually transform us and cause us to be truly sons and daughters of God. Isn't that beautiful? That is our identity. That is who you are. That is who I, I am right now when we ask Jesus into our heart. This is the wonderful second birth when we become born again. We must be born again. And also, not only are we born again, but the scripture tells us over and over that we are adopted into the family. Now, when I was a foster father, I had, I had a couple of foster children that were long-term. One came to us when he was eight weeks old, and he was gorgeous. His name was Jason. I had two da- my two daughters were young and little at the time. My, my youngest, she, was, she would have been about 18 months old when he, he came into our family. And she got taken away when he was 12 months old. And I remember the social worker saying, sorry, his mother's got her act together. We were told originally that he was ours forever. And he was taken away from me, and it broke my heart. It was so hard. It's a hard thing when you actually lose a child. And so my heart bleeds for those who maybe have had a, had a child and it passed away. And that is, we, 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 never, we never are created to actually lose children. And then I had another foster son who came, he was two, and his parents were being very neglectful with him, and he connected into my family and he called me daddy. With my children, he was in the middle of my five, my two boys were born after his coming into the house, so they thought he was their their brother. And when I was a foster father, I had one of the guys at work, he was also fostering, and I was contemplating adopting. And... 
He said to me, why would you adopt this child? While you're a foster son, you get paid. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. So we never, I didn't pursue the adoption. And if there's one re- regret that I have in life is that, the, that, I, that I didn't adopt Brendan, that he would be mine. And so that placement broke down. And, um, and over time, I've connected with him and seen him. But at this moment, he's estranged from me. So my heart, my father's heart for him, is, it, it, it yearns for, for reconciliation. And so our God, he has adopted us. Now, adoption talks about there's an ownership, there's a responsibility. And God, when he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, he paid the price that we could be adopted into his kingdom, into his family, into his household, and he then, that we then therefore belong to him. And because we are his now possession, we are part of his family, he seeks after us, he looks after us, his eyes are for us all the time. We are no longer our own, we belong to the heavenly father. Now, the enemy would want you to think that, no, 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 I'm an individual. I want to be able to do the things I want to do. Can I tell you that that's not true freedom? The enemy would say that that's freedom, but that's not true at all. Freedom is understanding who we are and where we belong. That's freedom. And we can actually live our fullest life when we understand that we are children of God. We belong to him. We are precious to him. And Jesus paid the price for us when he came and died on the cross that we could become brothers and sisters with our Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? This is the Father's heart that he has towards us. Now, to know about the Father is one thing, but to know him. And I want to talk about knowing the Father. In John 10, 14, 15, we read this. It says, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Knowing, personally knowing the Father. That's what Jesus, Jesus' power of his ministry is that he would draw aside and spend time with the Father. So he knew the Father's heart, and then he ministered from the Father. And he said, nothing that I do, I do on my own. I always do it. By the Father, the Father's wish. He was a true representative of the Father's house. When Isaiah prophesied about Jesus coming, he said, Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And he finishes off that statement and says, And his name will be called Almighty Father. He's our Father. There's a Father heart. There's the the connection with Jesus and our Heavenly Father. They are, because they're both God they're united, there is a connection in their character. Do you really, it's very hard sometimes, you know, when you're praying and you're going, oh, oh Lord, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you know, we, we do that sort of mingle around because they are one. They're so connected in their essence, their, their godly essence, their divinity, that it's hard sometimes to work out who's who in the zoo, isn't it? But God has shown us Jesus. So we can look at Jesus and see the very Father heart of God. He came to reveal who? He came to reveal the Father. He came to create us to be the sons and daughters of God that he wanted us to be. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. And so as we as Christians, now we have been given 
the authority of Jesus to be the witnesses to the world, to actually share the Father's heart with those around about us. So the father-child relationship is all about knowing, knowing one another. When I held my first baby, her name is Alison, when she was, she was born, she was a healthy, I think, nine pound four, and I'd never held a baby before I held her. I'd only held the family cat. And I, I couldn't believe how heavy this baby was. But one thing I discovered over a very short period of time, I was amazed by her willpower in that little package. How many people, you know, you've held your baby and when they cry and when they want to be fed and when they don't feel comfortable, man, you suddenly discover there's willpower in that little bundle. Isn't it? I need to be fed. That spirit of life, of that that God has put into even the smallest of children. Wow, it's fantastic. But wow, we've got to harness that. It's like trying to, you know, to tame the wild pony as it was. But we've got to actually get to know our children. And God wants to know us and we need to know him. So being a father, my responsibility, there's a fourfold responsibility for me to reflect the father. And that, those are that we are to be called a priest and a prophet. And we're meant to be a provider and a protector. A priest, a prophet, a provider and protector. And this is the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus came to reveal that. The steps of being a priest and a a prophet for our children. We need to actually be those who bring our family into church. To make them understand as a family, we honour God. That's the number, number one rule for us as fathers. I think the greatest ministry that I've actually had to my children is I used to always say, hey, we're going to church. You live under my roof, we all go to church. My father and mother, they did that for me. They said, nah, we go to church. I can remember visiting my, my grandmother out of Condobland and her, my, my grandfather I never got to know. He had been a, a Methodist lay pastor and he had... You know, load up the sulky and go and preach in these little tiny, tiny wooden churches. You've seen the little ch- wooden churches around Australia that the Methodists put up? And we'd, we'd go and visit my, my grandmother and every Sunday, just because we were visiting, they wouldn't say, oh, you're visiting, we won't go to church. Nah, we all got our Sunday bests and we went off to church. So being, I, I think, with my kids, I've got my four kids, they're walking with their, they have their... T- their testimonies or their, their, their journeys with Jesus, but I think the greatest thing that I absolutely did for them as, a, as, a, as the, the priest of the household is to bring them, let them go to church. And then the prophet, the prophet side for us. When we, to be a prophet, we encourage and build one of the people up. Prophecy is about encouragement. And we need to be the prophets who actually encourage our children, speak good things, put put faith and hope into them. Now, there is a journey of actually parenting. What is the culture that you have established in your, in your house, fathers? Because there is a culture in this house. This is the father's house. And Pastor Phil and Julie, they have established a culture in this house. And this is a, we have a culture here where we worship and praise God. 
We have a culture here where we build one another up. We have a culture where we always point to Jesus. There is a culture. When we're raising our children, discipline is a place to actually establish culture. The word discipline, it tends to be a bit, oh, don't like that word, but we quite often mistake the word discipline with punishment. Jesus called his disciples, what? The disciples, he called them into discipline. He called them into actually understanding the kingdom of heaven and the culture of, the, of heaven. The culture of heaven. As fathers, our role and responsibility is to establish with our children when they're from zero to six, you know, the, this first stage in their life is to create a culture, one where there's manners, where we address behaviour, one where there is honour and respect. Guess what? I'm the dad. I'm, I'm, I'm the boss in this house. I'm the one who establishes the rules in this house. Your mother is to be respected. We establish culture. We dis- discipline our children. Get, get the foundations right, okay? Get the foundations right. And as we become Christians, we actually have to, when we walk into the house of God, we need to actually understand what is the culture of this house. This culture is a culture where there is honour and respect. We behave appropriately. We behave in the way that Christians behave. This is the way we actually walk our walk. We get, get the basics done first. And then in our natural parenting, the next stage is from, from year 7 to year, year 12. From 7 to 12 years old. And that's training. And that's establishing knowledge. Paul says that, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to actually get knowledge. We need to actually to read scripture. We need to read Proverbs. We need to actually get all the teachings of the word into our heart. We need to actually hear the stories of old, of all the great Noah and the flood and, and Job and all those greats. We learn those. We get educated to who we are in, in Christ. And this is how we need to establish our children. Our kids' church. Our kids need to go to kids' church, don't they? Because that's the place where they get trained, up to 12 years old. They're actually getting trained to establish it. Teaching of scripture, establishing a, a godly worldview. And today we are actually in this place that you can no longer trust the world to show a Christian worldview. The, world, the view of this world is totally contrary to the Christian worldview. And it goes right back to the very beginning. If you read your Bible in Genesis, in the beginning, God created. God is the one who created this world. We have not, the world would think that we've evolved from a primeval slime. But thank goodness that's not the truth. Thank goodness. Because in Genesis, it actually says he took, he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then what did he do? What the next step was is that God got down mouth to mouth with Adam and breathed life into Adam. The breath of God came into the very first man. I am a son of Adam. I'm a son of Adam who's been created by an almighty God who formed me out of the dust through my father Adam, breathed life into him, and now I breathe just like my forefather Adam did. I breathe and the Holy Spirit now, I have the Holy Spirit, the pneuma, the breath of God in me. I have the breath of God. Adam had it. 
And I've got it. There's value in me. I don't, I'm not just by, here by chance. I'm here for a purpose from a heavenly father who put life into the first Adam and I'm, I'm alive because of him. If there was no Adam, I would not be here. If there was no Adam, you would not be here. Life within you and me comes from heaven, not from primeval sludge. What a worldview. There's purpose, there's value. There's reason that we have because of our father. This worldview is so important. We need to teach it to our children. We need to teach it to one another. And maybe you might be thinking, yeah, right. Can I tell you, go and do some studying. If you believe that evolution is the way that mankind has come about, go and do some studies about creation. Find out what is out there. We're not, we're not quacks. We actually do look at the evidence. And many of the great scientists of old, they were Christians. They understood that God is a God of order of law and order, and there are, there are, there are principles in the, in the universe that are established by a divine being, God. Right. Divine intellect thinks about it. The systems of this world are amazing. Do some research. If you don't know anything about creation, don't just sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I challenge you today. Go and find out about the truth of how God created this world. And we do not, as cre- if you believe in creation, you're not, haven't got your head you know, empty, let's say, you know. Okay. So that's, I get excited about that one, as my darling wife knows when I'm sitting there when people are talking to everyone. Anyway. And we need to, when our, when our children are young, in up to 12 years, we need to actually just set the moral compass over and over. Repetition, repetition. Isn't it amazing how repetition, repetition, we need that repetition. And our... Our father's heart is you just got to love and you got to love, you got to love. Talking about that, the, the heart of God is one where, you know, God is just. The Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, okay? But God is just. He's just. And we've all had wrongs that have taken place in our lives. And who has ever run to their mum or dad and going, it's not fair. You know, maybe your sibling got something that you didn't, or you, you know, and you're always wanting, if it's not fair, you want to have justice, okay? And so there's a longing within us for justice that we get, we don't want justice to us, we actually want justice to those who wrong us. But as a parent, the way to actually parent well is to always show mercy. We show mercy, and then at the last of the thing, it says, okay. Mercy is not working, I will administer justice. There will be discipline. So we love our children all the time. But if you turn that around and you say, I'm, going to be, I'm a just parent, everything is going to be right in my household, think, oh my goodness, the brutality of that. The brutality of that. Most people, when you do things wrong, there's a conscience within you and you know, yeah, I did wrong. We need to play towards their conscience. I know as a father, one of the the powerful things I could say to my children, and I've had to use it a couple of times, and actually say to my children, I'm so disappointed with you. Have you ever had that said to you? I'm so disappointed with you. You Oh, man. (laughs) You know, it pulls the legs out from underneath you. Because each and every one of us, we want to be honoured. We want to be respected. 
deep down, you actually want to be known as being good. Deep down, you really want to be noticed. You want to be valued. We, need to be ex- we want to be accepted. And as a father, our responsibility, as parents, our responsibility is to always show respect and honour to our children. Value them. Show them mercy. Show them grace. And if you have to, you have to then one day you have to step in and say, sorry, there will be justice. What you've done is wrong. You are not repentant. There will be consequences. And those consequences can be all sorts of things. And now the wonderful consequence is, well, I'll take the device off you. No! Didn't have that in my day. <laughs> Mind you, I didn't have to worry about the devices either. Okay. And so that training season is actually always encouraging, encourage repentance and forgiveness. I believe that the, one of, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're mighty for pulling down of the strongholds. And one of the greatest weapons that we have is repentance, I'm sorry. Because if you don't say sorry, it will lead to pride. And pride, I reckon, is the greatest sin. Because with pride, you can't actually even receive the Saviour's love and and his mercy. Because, no, no, I'm doing, I'm doing myself, and you'll actually get bound up in sin, just like the enemy, who is the father of all lies. The father of all lies. So we need to be repentant, because Satan never repented, did he? He just wanted to be like God, and he went for it. And it's like, there's no repentance, and so we know his eternity has been dealt with. There is hell established for the enemy, Justice will be done because Jesus paid the price on the cross. And then the other thing is that we need to be able to show forgiveness. Now, our loving Heavenly Father, he's released every single one of us of our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ paid for your sin yesterday, today and tomorrow. Because every one of our sins, think about it, every one of our sins, when Jesus hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, every one of our sins that we've committed were in the future. Every single one of them was in the future. And when he died on the cross, the complete work, and he said, it is finished. He did the complete work, an absolute complete work that all sins were forgiven on the cross because of his blood that was shed for us. Our sins are actually being dealt with. So how beautiful that is. So I don't actually, all I need to do is receive it by faith and say, thank you, I am I have been forgiven. So we need to actually learn, I have been forgiven, I will forgive others. Scripture says it. You've been forgiven much, you need to forgive others. So these two great powerful things, being able to be repentant and forgiveness, incredible tools that we need to teach our our families, our children, and that you will grow up to be strong and mighty in the house of God. The next stage, the third stage, is coaching. And that is from our teenagers from 13 to 18, which is life application. Have you noticed how God doesn't just teach us through his word, but he uses life experience to teach us? Anyone got some life experience up? Some people have been around the mountain a few times. It's beautiful, isn't it? For God never fails us. He just says, not yet competent. Isn't that good? Not yet competent. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Have another go. Have another go. Have another go. This is my God. He is so gracious. He never says that's enough. No, no he says have another go. When we're actually 
will submit, submit to our Heavenly Father. He's always the one, you know, not yet competent, give another go. How beautiful is that? So this coaching period, we actually encourage, we encourage a personal walk with Jesus. So we actually start to understand that you know, when children are young, they're actually under the, the Bible says that they're under the blessing of the parents. Our salvation actually covers our children. And Jesus says, says that, don't stop the children coming from me. So any child actually is covered by the grace of God. I really believe that. That is our God. But there is a time when we grow up and you have to be responsible for your own actions. For, for you actually, and so I, for me, I actually gave my heart to the Lord when, when I was 15. When I actually had to take full responsibility for myself, for my actions, for my behaviour, and I actually, God touched me. Now, some children in the house today, get, they give their hearts to the Lord at an early age. My kids gave their, their, their hearts to their Lord when they were three and five. How beautiful is that? I wasn't given that opportunity. But the grace of God covers children while they're in that season of they're not, they haven't made a decision. Our grace, or the grace of God covers, I believe, every, every child. I really do believe that because that is my God. That is my God, very gracious, very, very loving. So life application is so important for us fathers to actually give our children all the opportunities they possibly can. And we stand on the, on the sideline and we actually cheer them on and we give them advice when called for. We have a responsibility that you, know, no, you can do better or you did well, all those things. That coaching side, you're standing on the side of the line and you're watching them grow because you want your children to become fully mature in adulthood and God wants us as Christians to grow up that we're not to be held back to be a child be childish in our Christian walk you need to actually grow up and put on some spiritual muscles have some faith in God and stand up and be able to stand up and actually maybe you need to be able to express your faith to give witness to those around about you maybe your behavior maybe some of your behavior that you have you need to grow up and put off childish ways and act as an adult, act as a, as a Christian should act. And this should be happening in our... And God is gracious. He coaches us. He coaches us. But he wants us to be able to stand up and be totally like the Father, just like Jesus. I believe every single one of you in this house here, God's desire is for you to become more and more Christ-like, and he is the image of the Father. And so there's this transformation in our lives. Every day, every year of your life, no matter how old you are, God wants to actually continually build us into the very likeness of the Father. That our character is totally transformed. That you are as if you are God. His character has been totally released within you. Your love can extend to even those people who hurt you. So, in that coaching season, from, for the, when we're talking teenagers, it's encouraging a personal work with Jesus, encouraging Bible study, especially with peers. It's so, I can remember sitting down even at school and doing Bible studies with, with fellow students. And then we need to be able to discuss with our children life issues as they arise. I had a season of my life, about two and a half years, where I was a solo dad. My, my first wife, my children's mum left us, and I had three of my children living under my roof. And when I was, when I was 
at the end of the day, I'll be just lying on my bed, and the next thing you'd know, one of my kids would rock up and just plonk on the bed next to me. And we have to have a chat. I'll be available. We need to be available for, with our children to talk life's issues. And some of the times when kids want to talk life issues, it may not be convenient. But we've got to step over that and actually be available. And our Heavenly Father, He's available. We can come to Him as our, our Heavenly Father and actually discover that He has got answers for life's issues. And we need to really be a good listener. Don't jump straight in and try to answer all these things quickly. And then the fourth stage that God want us, wants us to come into with our children and for us with Him is a position of friendship. 18 years and onwards. And that is a place where we actually reign together. We reign together. You and I, we actually have been called to reign in life. When Jesus, he, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is now. He brought heaven down to earth. He established the culture. He established the teachings of heaven. He established the, the lordship of God here on earth. And we as Christians, we now can walk and reign and rule in life. That we are not controlled by circumstances, but we can actually rise above circumstances and be children of God. And we can speak to the storms of life and say, stop, be still, just like Jesus spoke to the, the storm. And he stelled it to stop. And even though they were in the midst of the storm, he was asleep in the boat. I want to be those that when the, well, we can, all, all of us can be like Jesus when the storms of life come we don't lose our peace because that is one of the culture that, that's the culture of God because Jesus is the prince of peace now in saying all this about about God and the fatherhood that we have been called into let us not be ignorant about the father of lies there is an enemy that wants to establish his kingdom an antichrist spirit who wants to establish his kingdom here on earth. And he has actually taken many people captive. They don't even know that they're a captive. They're a slave to sin. They're a slave to him. And yet we've been given this great, great gospel, gospel, good news, to say that Jesus came to set the captives free. And that same spirit that was on Christ has now been given to us as children of God and we can be his ministers to those people and go out and share the good news. There is power in your testimony. What's your testimony? Have you sharpened your testimony that you can tell of God's goodness in your life? Because tell you, I tell you what, people can't refute your testimony. Now they might, you can argue you know, with, your, with theology and philosophy and science and all those things are great, but ultimately... The power of our testimony is that I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. When you look in the mirror, when you go home, when you look in the mirror in the morning, don't just see yourself. See yourself as being a child of God. One last story that I want to share with you. And I want to open up the altar here. But maybe, maybe you don't know the Father. 
You don't have a personal relationship with God. And I want to open the altar for you to come forward and actually have a relationship with the Father. Jesus died on the cross for you, for your sins, that your sins would not separate you from God, but that you'll be fully accepted by the Father and you could receive his Holy Spirit and become a child of God. And can I tell you, when you do that, that day, today will be the best day of your life. The best day of your life. Now, this story I was going to tell you about. My children's mother was adopted. She didn't know her parents. She had beautiful parents. My, they were my first, my per, first parents-in-laws, John and Olive Keane. They were a lovely, godly couple. But, but my, my first wife, she didn't look like them because she wasn't their flesh and blood. And so she, she never could look in the mirror. Can you, you know what it's like for those of us who have not been adopted? You know, those horrible things when parents saying, you look like your Aunt Beryl. Thanks a lot. You know, but the family resemblance thing, you know, you go in, you, don't, you know, or I can look in there and I go, oh my goodness, you know, I look like my dad, you know. You, you know, those, when you do that, well, my first wife, she's never actually able to do that. No one could give her any connection. Anyway, when they changed the laws for the adoption papers that you could find your birth parents, we pursued that, and the first person that she ever saw from her family was her grandfather. Her parents were out in the country. He came down to find out who are you, what's going on. So we, we, he, we had this meeting with him in our house for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and then he left. And I'll never forget this. We had mirrors in our foyer, and for the first time in her life, she looked in the mirror and she saw family looking back. She saw her grandfather. She saw her likeness in him. Think, wow, I look like my... I look like my granddad. I look, there's family. Can I tell you, Jesus wants to transform you that you look like Jesus. I believe that when we go to heaven on that great and glorious day when we're standing before the throne of God, you won't see Jesus as a foreigner. You won't see him as you know, someone far off, but you, you will see him as family. That I'm like him and he's like me. And I think we'll look around heaven and we'll see in one another, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. I see the Father. I see the Holy Spirit. I see Jesus. His Spirit is upon you. He's put His Spirit in you. He's put His nature in you. His the very likeness of Christ. The, the life of Christ lives within us, Scripture says. So I actually want every head, if you'd like to bow your heads now, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know and have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father today, today is the day that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and saying, I want to come in. I want you to be part of my family. I want you to come in. So if that's you and you, can know, you know maybe there's a trembling in your heart, this is the day that you are to ask Jesus in to your heart to be your Lord and Saviour. If that's you here, can you pop your hand up? Pop your hand up. Anybody in the room here today? You want to ask Jesus into your life? Ask the Father to come into your heart. 
Is there anyone? Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Not today. Is there anyone? Just one moment. Anyone else? Is there anybody? Okay. All right. Lift your heads. Lift your heads again. I want you to stand up right across the room right now. So if anybody's been watching this preach today, let's just pray for those people. Lord, I just pray that you touch those who are watching us online. And Lord, I just pray right now for those people that, that don't know you. Lord, I just pray that they would you'll be touched them right now where they're sitting. And if you're watching right now, just pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and took all my sins away. Thank you, Jesus, that you have connected me into your family. And I am a son, I am a daughter of God. Amen. Well, how beautiful is our God? What's your image of?